welcome to the campfire. Every month, I'll be here to bring you a new tale of terror, of horror, of the things that creep and crawl in the night. So join me as we descend into the things our minds dare not think of. Trigger Warnings The following story contains language from the Great Replacement Theory, which is a anti-Semitic theory. There is also insinuations towards homophobia, transphobia, and racism. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories Told by Scott. Today's episode is slightly different than what I normally do. Uh, this is a very politically heavy story. There also is some pieces to note. It does contain some language that may be triggering to certain individuals. No slurs. I didn't slur. I don't slur. But um, there is some recreation of certain phrases or other slogans that can be attributed to specific movements, uh, including the uh, Great Replacement Theory. That notice bear bearing in mind, it does bear saying that I do not believe in these views. I do not hold these views. I do not condone these views. They are merely within this story to reflect the views of those specific individuals and definitely not an endorsement of those views. The following story also has two inspirations, the first being Junji Ito's The Enigma of Amagera Fault. The other happens to be a more recent one, a post on Reddit by user specialist-ad4561, who asked about their boyfriend who was digging a tunnel. So those, those are the inspirations for this particular story. And then as time went by, it sort of evolved into what you're going to hear tonight. This also happens to be, as of recording of this episode, the second longest story I have ever written. With all of that in mind, I do welcome you to sit with me at the campfire and listen to the following tale. Burrows. Amber sunk down onto the couch and let out a huge sigh. Clattering sounds spilled out from the kitchen, grating on her already building headache. Meryl, honey? Could you hold it down in there? I think I've got a migraine coming on. The noises continued and slowly petered off. A gruff voice shot back across. Where'd the damn sponges get off to? The clattering soon continued, aggravating Amber's growing headache. She got up and went to the kitchen. Cabinet doors were flung open, and the once prim and proper setup was now in disarray. Frowning, which only enhanced the headache, she quickly moved to the side of the room by the stove and pulled some sponges out of the cabinet. Why the hell are they over there and not under the sink? Merrill demanded. His brow also furrowed, his mouth plastered with an angry sneer. Before Amber could respond, he nicked the sponge from her hand and clumsily turned to the sink. Amber sighed and climbed the stairs again, going into the bathroom. Opening the cabinet, she scanned the bottles of pills, heartburn meds, supplements bought off those awful talk shows he watches, and there, 
headache medicine. She plopped two into her mouth and shotgunned some water to wash them down. She eyed the supplement bottle and scoffed. Improves your brain? Makes you stronger? Rubbish and nonsense, she thought to herself as she closed the cabinet door. Merrill took one every day, and he was still Merrill. He wasn't stupid, but he definitely let some very stupid ideas get into his head sometimes. Satisfied she'd done all she could, she relocated to the bedroom to try and sleep off the effects. She only needed an hour or so, and dinner time was fast approaching. God works in mysterious ways, she thought to herself, as she slid onto the bed and tucked a pillow under her head. Downstairs, the sound of the sink trickled up and into the bedroom. The rushing of the water wafted into her ears, as cooling as the water itself must feel at that moment, and the dull ache behind her temples started to dull even further. The sound of the water stopped, and footsteps went from the kitchen to the living room. It wasn't long before she could hear the television. She winced. When Merrill had control of the television, he'd always turn on those awful men in suits who angrily spew venom at others. She had hoped that moving to a new city with more open minds would have helped convince him to find new intellectual pursuits. But there were plenty in the neighborhood who only helped fuel the fires of Merrill's bigoted passions. An angry voice, not Merrill's, dragged its way up the stairs and through the doorway to the bedroom. Amber tried to shut the sound out, but to no avail. The headache was coming back. She got up, closed the bedroom door, and it wasn't long until she was sound asleep. Downstairs, Merrill was watching a program, boldly featuring an angry-looking, perfectly coiffed-haired white man, his beady eyes glinting as he railed on his latest crusade. People who claim to be what they are not. Merrill looked down at his hands, noting the last remnants of dirt on them before placing his gaze back on the television and let his mind absorb the rhetoric. A couple hours passed, and Amber lurched awake. Her dreams had been a hodgepodge of sponges, suits, and rows of teeth, all bared and barking at her. It was an uneasy rest, but rest nonetheless, as the headache had all but never existed, if not for her memory. She opened the bedroom door, and the sounds of the TV had morphed from the usual awful talk show masquerading as news to something unfamiliar. Merrill had played so many of those shows over and over every day that she almost knew them by the voice. But this was one she hadn't heard yet. She descended to the living room, and Merrill was asleep on the couch in front of the flickering TV set. On screen was a man in a tight, dark gray t-shirt, sitting in front of a microphone. A bold logo flared out from behind him, yelling, Together we stand, in violently red letters. On the table in front of him were various bottles. Supplements, she figured, just from a cursory look. They had that cheap-looking label on them. Each bottle was turned to the camera to show the name of each wonder drug off prominently. One of them she recognized as the one Merrill had been taking. As if she had unplugged her ears, the words the man was saying slowly filled her consciousness. So, what you're saying is, you're afraid he asked, and the camera cut to another man, no less similar to the one before. The other man, dressed in a perfectly pressed blue suit, folded his fingers 
as if he were about to make a deep and astute point. As he spoke, it was as if his voice was derived from gravel. You see, we are afraid that if things continue as they are, people like you and me, he gestured to the man and himself, we will become rarer. Our ability to govern and keep the country on the correct path will be dulled. We won't be able to tell who is what because anyone could be everyone. He paused for effect. Or no one. That's an interesting thought, the first man remarked in honeyed tones. So what do you think would be the best way to preserve people like you and me? Can it be done while everyone else goes about their, you know... He also gesticulated between the two of them. If we allow any of them to pursue their perversions, their false ideologies, we could be facing an entire extermination of the white race. The well-dressed man furrowed his brow and tightened the clasp of his hands on one another. The host of the show nodded. Well, that certainly is a fascinating viewpoint. I see no reason why we cannot meet in the middle and find a respectful compromise. He nodded again as if he'd just solved a potential problem and smiled at the guest. That's all for today's Together We Stand podcast, and I want to thank Calvin Croker for coming by. We love having you, by the way. Calvin is promoting a new audiobook series titled Unearthing the Truth, which releases in a week. Is that right, Calvin? Calvin nodded and smiled. The host finished his sign-off, and the show came to an end. Amber clicked the remote, and the image on the screen disappeared into blackness. She looked at her husband and shook her head in disappointment. Turning around, she went to the kitchen and began dinner preparation. The next week went by, seemingly with nothing to note. Merrill indulged his fascinations with the angry men, and the more he indulged, the more Amber heard commercials for that audiobook by Croker. Whenever they came on, Merrill became uncannily excited. They're saying it's going to blow the lid off the liberal agenda, revealing top-secret projects they've been trying to hide from us, he chirped at the table. He shoveled chicken parmesan into his mouth and continued to speak through lumps of chicken and cheese. It comes out tomorrow, and it's going to change everything. Amber quietly nodded false approval. Inside, she could feel her embarrassment rising. They polished off the rest of the meal in no time, Merrill still buzzing about the release. Even as they went to bed, Amber could feel the excitement emanating from Merrill. With a frustrated sigh, she closed her eyes and tried to sleep. Amber sat at a table, clear and clean. Around her, the walls were covered in noise-dampening foam. Across from her sat a suit, clean and well-pressed. There was no one in it, but it sat upright as if filled with a person's body. The suit leaned forward, and a strange scraping sound could be heard. The closer the suit leaned, the louder it became. With one ear-piercing scrape, she awoke to the sounds of birds outside. Merrill was not in bed when Amber rolled over. She tilted her neck to look behind her and saw the time was 10 a.m. Pulling herself out of bed, Amber got dressed and went downstairs. That voice drifted up to her as she left the bedroom. She recognized it as Croker's. 
Merrill was lounging in the living room, eyes glinting as the words sprung out from the tablet in front of him. Amber tried to call out to him, but he was awash in the waves of rhetoric and fanciful fears of men like himself. Annoyed, she made breakfast for herself since Merrill wasn't responding. As she ate, however, she could now focus on what was being said to her husband. Croker's gravelly voice slowly faded in. As we all know, there are forces at work aimed at replacing us. They think they are better, more powerful, more intelligent, but they do not know how powerful we really are. Together, we are infinite. We are as unstoppable as a mountain. They hide underground while we reign supreme on the surface. That can only last so long, however. We must remove their hiding places, uproot them, and reclaim the earth as ours. Amber grimaced and tried to tune it out. After unsuccessfully doing so for several minutes, she went to the front door and stepped outside. Croker's voice faded into the background, and she held her head in her hands and let out a soft sob. After finally composing herself, Amber got in the car and headed into town to get groceries and hopefully take her mind off the terrible madness that was invading her home. She arrived at the supermarket and put a mask on over her mouth. Walking in, she grabbed a cart. All around her swarmed people of different sizes, colors, volumes. Some wore masks, others did not. Amber preferred the noise and dim buzzing around her compared to the terrible nonsense playing at home, eating away her husband's mind. As Amber moved along the aisles, filling the cart up with chicken, pastas, oranges, and others, she picked up on various discussions happening around her. Her calm was slowly eroded as she listened in. Instead of the usual gossip around Arnold sleeping around the town on his wife, or whose child was excelling the most in elementary school, everywhere Amber turned, someone was mentioning the new Croker audiobook. Some discussions were in approval, while others wary, and others critical. She was relieved to press down an aisle to hear, I've only listened to one chapter, and it is the most atrocious thing I've heard in my house. And you can guess what Janet has said in the bedroom. A woman chittered to her friends, whom all giggled and tittered at her remark. Amber slid past the giggling group, arms flashing out between shelves, hands grasping and retrieving the weekly necessities and luxuries. As if she were in a different part of the world, or even a universe unto itself, just steps away were a man and a woman gushing about the audiobook. The man's a genius, and I'm only a few chapters in myself. Had to come here for more bread and craft, but as soon as I get home, I'm going to binge the rest of it. The hour shot by, and as Amber's autopilot wore off, she found herself standing in line. Before she could dart past the conversations, but now she was unable to shake those who wanted to stop and gossip about the strange new hit sweeping the neighborhood. Amber's anxiety was about to peak before it was her turn at the register. She flashed the teller a smile, attempted small talk about that week's meals, and fell silent any time Croker was brought up. She'd had enough of the man by that point. The doors of the supermarket parted, and Amber hastily trotted through the doorway. The sun was high above as Amber drove back home. Passing through the other neighborhoods, she saw several people in their backyards. Shovels in hand, stabbing viciously at the earth beneath them. 
She turned the radio up, the sounds of pop country washing over her, soothing the mental burns she had been feeling because of the obsession with this croaker character. Her brain switched on autopilot again, and before long, she was pulling into her driveway. As she pulled the groceries out of the back of the car, she surveyed the property. With all this hubbub going on, she had forgotten to ask Merrill when he was going to dig the holes so they could set up the new fence. As she fumbled with her keys to open the front door, a familiar sound became audible. Chunk. Scrape. And a shifting of earth. A suit flashed in her mind. That suit from the interview. Shuddering, she found the key and went inside. Minutes went by as Amber loaded up the kitchen with her purchases. When she was done, she took a moment to catch her breath. It felt like she had been holding it in since she left the house. Looking around the living room, Meryl was nowhere to be seen. She walked through the house, but Meryl just wasn't there. She remembered the noises she heard at the front door and went outside. Chunk. Scrape. Shifting chunk, scrape, shifting, in an almost perfect rhythm. It was coming from the backyard. She rounded the back corner of the house and started. There was Merrill with a shovel jabbing at the ground in front of him in the middle of the yard. Honey? Honey? If you're digging the post holes, you're doing it in the wrong place, Amber shouted. Merrill planted the shovel in the ground and turned. Again, Amber started as Merrill locked eyes on hers. Something looked off. There was that glint from earlier while he was listening to that audiobook. But now? Something else was behind it. A strange glassiness. Oh, he said in response. He shook his head a bit and the look disappeared from his eyes. You're right, yeah. Leaning on the shovel, it looked like he was recovering from... something. I'll fill this in and start working on the fence line later. He smiled and Amber returned it, a new feeling of ease falling over her. It's probably just my imagination, she thought to herself. She went back inside, and Merrill followed soon after. The sun was going down as they sat down for dinner. The smell of beef and stew permeated every inch of the house. For once in a long while, the conversation tilted away from Merrill's obsessions and fragile ideologies. They talked about the fence, what kind they were hoping to get, Shark Week, something they both loved, was just a week away, and they were bubbling over what new discoveries would be revealed. Amber finally felt like maybe things were returning to normal. Maybe even better. That night, they fell asleep in each other's arms. Morning came as it has always, and Amber slowly slipped off the covers as she sat up. She looked over, and Merrill wasn't there. A bit groggy still, she pulled an outfit from the closet and drawers and headed downstairs. Merrill was nowhere to be seen. She went out on the front porch and stretched in the sunlight. Just as she was easing into the morning, chunk, scrape, shifting. Her blood ran cold, and the suit flashed in her mind again. She went around the house and looked in the backyard. Merrill was in the middle of the yard. The hole he was digging the previous day was not only still there, it was bigger 
and deeper. Looking around the yard, no other holes were there, just the one in the middle. Meryl, honey, I thought you said you were going to close that up and work on the fence line. Merrill did not stop digging this time. The shovel made loud chunks every time he jabbed into the ground. Without turning his head, he spoke. The fence is important. The fence will protect us. But right now, the truth will protect us better than they will. Amber blinked, trying to parse what he had just said. Baby, what are you talking about? You'll see. Chunk. Scrape. Shifting. Amber tried to talk to him further, but Merrill kept digging. Frustrated, she turned and walked back into the house. Passing through the living room, she saw Merrill's tablet sitting on the table. Knowing full well what she'd find, she pressed the power button and the screen flashed on. Chapter 18. How to Root Out Evil. Displayed prominently under the much more attracting title, Unearthing the Truth. Above the title was a picture. In it, Calvin Croker stood, wearing a piss helmet, his trademark blue suit, and a grin that inspired the skin to crawl. Behind him was a mountain draped in the American flag, a hideous affair that seemed to scream its patriotism a bit too much. After making herself a simple breakfast of pancakes, sausage, and French toast, she hastily cleaned up the kitchen and got in her car. Despite sleeping through the night, she still felt tired. Making her way into town again, she noticed more people out in the yards than the other day. Making quick glances around her, she noticed they all had shovels, and from what little she could see as they whizzed by, they seemed to be working feverishly, just like Merrill. She was expecting it, but even still, hearing people still talking about Croker in the hardware store put her on ill ease. She did her best to locate the fencing they were going to use quickly, so as to be around the conversation less. Every mention of the man and his teachings felt like they were sapping her strength now. By the time she left the store, she felt like she needed to sleep again. On her drive back home, she noticed the people in the yards digging, but now someone else was standing with them, possibly their partners. They all looked like they were yelling at them. She slid the car up the driveway and clattered out of the car. Dizziness had just set in, and she braced herself against the vehicle while she tried to recover. Slowly, she got her bearings back, and that was the moment those dreaded noises came back. Chunk. Scrape. Shifting. Meryl was still in the back. Amber pulled the fencing out of the car and brought it around back. Meryl was digging even more feverishly. Her throat went dry. Meryl? She croaked out, before clearing her throat. This time, Meryl kept digging, but he lifted his head and turned to look at Amber. It was uncanny. Chilling. His body stayed and moved, but his head, his head stared right into her. That strange look was behind his eyes again. I'm close, he said his voice strained and cold. Amber shuddered and placed the fencing near the shed. She took one more look at Merrill and fled inside and upstairs to lay down. Perhaps a nap would help sort out her nerves. Something about Croker 
and Merle's behavior weighed down on her. She closed her eyes, and when she opened them again, she was back in the room. Walls still padded with foam. That hideous suit remained sat in the chair opposite her at the table. This time, however, the pill bottles she saw on the program the other day sat along the table. Amber looked down, and her arms lay on the table. She was leaning forward. Suddenly, the suit moved, and Amber recoiled, knocking the pill bottles over. The caps, clearly not secured, popped off, and the contents of the bottle spilled across the table. Horrified, Amber began to scream as the various pills sprouted legs and began to crawl along her and into her mouth. The scream reached a fevered pitch, and she sat up upright, drenched in sweat. Gone was the room and the table, the suit and the pills. She was back in her bedroom. Looking at the clock, it was the late afternoon, but the scream lingered in her mind. Or rather, it was something else? It was a strange noise. It sounded like Meryl? It wasn't a scream. No, it was jubilant? Amber couldn't remember the last time she'd heard Merrill so happy. Maybe he'd found whatever he was looking for, and his fixation was over? She looked out the back window in the bedroom, and Merrill was in the hole. But now he was cradling something? She bolted down the stairs in defiance of her tired body. She all but crashed through the back door when Merrill stood up and turned around. Here it is, he shouted. I have found them. What, what is it? Amber asked shakily. You don't see? You don't see the white of their bones? Buried here for so long? Proof. Proof they're trying to get rid of us. Hide us so no one else finds out what they're up to. Amber shook. Merrill was standing in front of her, holding nothing. Catching his gaze, something fiendish stared back at her. He smiled, but it was unlike any smile she'd ever seen on him. Utterly terrified now, she ran back inside and collapsed against the back door. Her dream from before faded in and out of her consciousness. The suit. The table. The room. The... The pills. Those goddamn pills he takes. Flying up the stairs, she flung open the cabinet door. The bottle sat there, almost mockingly. Popping off the lid, Amber lifted the toilet seat and poured the bottle's contents in. A noise came from behind her, and she spun around to see Merrill. That hideous glint in his eyes almost seemed to flare out at her. His smile was gone, replaced by a sneer of contempt. You cannot stop the truth, Amber. He stepped forward, clenching the shovel in his hands. You're working with them, aren't you? You saw me with their secret, and now you want to silence me. Replace me. Please, honey, no. I have no idea what is going on. What secret? Why were you digging? What? A loud sob from deep within her cut off her words, and she choked on her tears and the words that she just could not say. Merrill stared at her for a moment and advanced on her with a speed she'd never seen out of him. He brought the shovel up, and Amber scooted backwards as he brought it down. 
She pushed herself into the corner as Merrill's strike landed on the toilet, cracking the lid. Merrill stood there as the reverberations of the strike seemed to concuss him. Amber stood up and barreled through him, knocking him to the ground and hitting his head on the toilet roll holder. Down the stairs she went, sliding into the kitchen. She fumbled and scrambled through the room, almost blinded by tears. It took much longer than usual, but her hand soon curled around the handle of a knife. Large, sharp, protective. She stood with her back to the walls, slowly working her way towards the front door. Merrill appeared at the top of the stairs and chuckled. You will not replace me. Like some kind of demon, he hurled himself down the stairs at her. Another swing of the shovel landed on the knob, bending it. Amber slashed at Merrill and caught a bit of his stomach. He flinched and she fled to the back door, flinging it open. Leaving the house in such a hurry, she tripped and fell onto the ground, right into the middle of the hole Merrill had dug. She heard the back door open, and Merrill soon appeared at the rim of the hole. The look in his eyes was indescribable. He hopped into the hole and stared Amber down. Tears in her eyes refused to stop flowing, and she felt their sting. Merrill tried to swing the shovel again, but it stuck into the side of the hole. In panic, Amber brought the knife up and into Merrill's face with a soft chunk. Merrill fell back, and the impact pushed the knife up. Amber winced at the sound of the blade scraping against bone. Amber began to climb out of the hole, shuddering at every shift in the dirt around her. She scrambled, fumbled, and eventually pulled herself out, rolling onto her back among the uncut grass of the yard. She lay there, trying to catch her breath between the sobs and wails. Once she was collected again, she pulled herself up, and that was when she finally heard it. A din. Screaming. Yelling. She could make out the same words Merrill had said. Replace me. Hide the truth. Shivering, she walked out to the front of the house. The neighborhood was in flames. People were either digging or chasing someone. She watched in utter horror as multiple people were brought to end with shovels, crowbars, and other implements. A scream pierced her ears as it grew louder. She turned her head in horror as a man with a cleaver bore down on her, yelling, We cannot be replaced! Before he could land a blow, he was tackled to the ground. A small group of men and women ran towards Amber and her assailant. They took turns taking hits on the man until he stopped moving. Still shaking, Amber looked at the group. None of them had to say anything. They knew there was nothing they could do here. She looked back at the flames and the people with a nightmare in their eyes, choked back her tears, and turned away. She looked off to the horizon and wondered if there was anywhere that would be safe now. One of the women in the group placed a hand on her shoulder. Amber turned to her and the woman smiled. She smiled back, and the group left the town to crumble to ash. Thank you for joining me in sharing these nights of terror. We'll be back next month with more spine-chilling tales. 
I look forward to seeing you again around the campfire. Sweet dreams. Thank you.